she's got the one in the movie that is the most impenetrable. Uh-huh. Uh, and and everybody I've talked to is like, what the hell was that? And it's the one that stuck with me. Really? Uh, okay. I think about it a lot. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Scream Sister. My name is Valerie. And I'm Veronica. And we are your hosts. We are coming to you in the middle of spooky season right now. Uh, Ron, I don't know. How have you been ringing in your Halloween month? Are you guys going to, to normally, Ronnie and I, in the past, we have rounded up our families and we have gone to Fiesta Texas Fright Fest. Uh, it's getting harder and harder for us to coordinate to do that because kids and sports schedules and ha- are you guys planning to go or what's the deal? Uh, we haven't made plans just because, you know, like you, my, my kids are even older and working or doing homework uh, for college and the college age ones probably aren't even interested in going with yeah. their parents, <laughs> their friends maybe, but not their parents. Have you been watching any any scary movies so far or not yet? Not yet. Well, Halloween, the the OG Halloween, I say for actual Halloween night. Although if we have to watch that earlier, didn't you say you wanted to watch it? Well, well I have to. You've seen it. I have yeah. to watch it ahead of our recording because I've never I've never seen it before. So that's that's my assignment. But you know, you you do you 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 at this point, I suspect if you watch it every year, you know it. You don't need to watch it. My my go to my kickoff for the start of Halloween season, I always watch Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. Not because I'm like some big Tim Burton fan and and I did kind of, I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about that because it comes up in the interview that we have on this episode with Pete. Like him, love him, hate or hate him. Uh, Tim Burton, you know, this particular film, Sleepy Hollow. Ron, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Long time ago. The aesthetics, the visuals of it are very much my my jam. So, I, and plus, I am really partial to the story of Sleepy Hollow because did you remember, Ron? Like in school, it had to have been while you were in school because you're older than I am. But but you know, certainly when I was in school, I remember in class they would show us the it was Walt Disney's The Adventures of Mister Toad and Ichabod Crane. Did you ever watch that special? I, so I remember like, Ichabod Crane. I don't remember a Mr. Toad. Well, so the way they package it, like on Disney Plus now, if if you because I, I know this because I've shown my kids that I, I make them watch this special. They the way they package it on Disney Plus is it's the it's like a mashup of these two cartoons. So the first one is like a 30-minute or something like that, uh, The Adventures of Mr. Toad. And then the second one and I'm, I might be messing up titles, but something, something, Mr. Toad. And then the second one is like Ichabod. It's a story of Sleepy Hollow. And so it's that animated version. Did, you tell me you've seen that though, right? You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. The animated version? Yeah. And it's like, isn't Bing Crosby one of the voices or am I making that up? I have no clue. I mean, it's been decades since I've seen that. Well, damn it. We, so, <laughs> myself, <laughs> hold on. We need to be, we need to know what we're talking about. And I want to say it's Bing Crosby, but I could be wrong. It could be, watch it not being me. It is, it is. Bing Crosby is the narrator. So Bing Crosby. 
So I just, that's ingrained in my brain from elementary school years. So since then, I have always had a fondness for Sleepy Hollow and all things Sleepy Hollow. So yeah, I always ring in Halloween season with uh, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, which I think is is one of his better works. I, I, I was, I told you this uh, over text message, I was trying to do like a spooky movie every night this since since October started and not like that I'm constantly sitting in front of a TV watching something but I'll like put something on in the background while I might be getting other stuff done and mm-hmm. it hasn't happened every night but I've been trying well, that's a to, lot that's quite a yeah, pace of movie be, a night <laughs> that would be ambitious but I've been trying to work in spooky movies and so one of the ones I watched recently was I I watched Rosemary's Baby have you when was have you seen Rosemary's Baby no, I don't time. think I've ever like the original or the remake. Well, oh, that's I've right. That, that's one. right. I've there not was seen a either remake. one, so it doesn't really matter. I forgot there was a remake. No, I haven't seen the remake, but I, I've seen the original. I only have seen the original once, so this was only my second time to ever watch it. And actually, like the first time I watched it was a few years ago. I had it on in the background while we were painting our kitchen cabinets, and so this was my first time to actually sit down and focus on it. Man, it's a bizarre movie, and and. Obviously, so it's a Roman Polanski movie, so it's just got that creepy, bizarre factor to it. It's creepy. It's weird. It's it's very kind of art house uh, creepy vibes. There was also a part of me as I was watching it, because I don't know if you remember, but the whole premise of this movie is is that the dog? Yes. <laughs> Again, I see the door. She knows. I see the door like swing open. It's like she knows. Hold on. And then she just walks right back out. Hold on. She never does this during the day when I'm working. Hold on. She is mm. she is she is getting cantankerous in her old age. Like, That's just the weirdest thing. She only does that when I'm doing the podcast recording. So anyway, no, I was I was talking about the weirdness of this movie because it's just like the the premise of it is it's this young couple that moves into the apartment of a recently deceased elderly woman and you know, they move into this apartment building where it's like largely a lot of elderly people that turns out are all part of some satanic cult. And so their next door neighbors are this really kooky, fun, older couple, which honestly, if like just on the premise of that alone, moving into this, and it's a beautiful apartment that they move into, Veronica, Mm. and it's old, dark wood, moody vibes. Like when they go next door to visit the older couple who are nosy and, and kooky and turns out satanic cult worshipers, their apartment I'm in love with because it's it's all it's dark wood, it's moody vibes, it's all of that stuff. And and mind you, with the young couple, Mia Farrow and her husband, they move in and they remodel the place and they make it all bright and airy and white walls, all of those things. And that looks nice too. Don't get me wrong. I like that too. It's a gorgeous apartment. But yeah, like the premise of that alone, minus the satanic cult worship, that's fun. I'd have fun moving in next door to some nosy neighbors who, you know, they're always inviting them over. Not satanic worshipers, right? Not satanic worshipers, but they they cook for them. I'm all about free food and free drink. It's it's a good premise. But the reason I bring it up, Ron, is because I was watching it. And when the older couple invites them over for the first time for dinner and drinks, the older guy, uh, his name's Roman Castavet, he serves them something called a vodka blush, which I've never had before. I had to go digging up what that was. I appreciate a, a cocktail. Veronica is not super big on booze, but I appreciate a good <laughs> craft cocktail. And so a vodka blush is vodka, lime juice, and grenadine, which sounds super sweet. But I'm fascinated and I would try it. So anyway, it got me thinking about past 
beverages that Alex and I have served up whenever we've had Halloween things in in the very far past, you know, not anytime recently. What I'm going to pull together for us, I'll post it on the episode blog. When this episode comes out, I'm going to share with everyone some of the drinks that I've enjoyed over like themed Halloween drinks. Themed Halloween drinks. Including I try that one. I just don't like, I don't like when I can taste the alcohol, which I know sounds weird because then it's like, why drink it? But I don't actually like the taste of alcohol. But if if it's like I've had Amaretto Sours before, I like those. Yeah. I've had some Tom Collins before, I like those. This vodka blush sounds like a maybe. Well, and like a Tom Collins, I think is considered a highball. You know, I don't someone speak booze, so I don't know. What okay, that means. well, okay, <laughs> I, and and someone correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it's a highball, and so a highball is where the quantity of alcohol to mixer is is a little bit, probably a little bit more your speed. And there's nothing wrong with not liking the taste of booze, depending on the booze. Like I, I'm kind of the same way with like vodka. I don't want to taste I, like I, nobody likes the taste of vodka. Mind you, maybe there we just haven't had good vodka yet, but it's not my drink. The combination of lime juice and grenadine would probably sweeten that up quite a quite a good deal. If you want it, if it was maybe too sweet, you might like mix it up a little bit with like maybe some club soda or something, or I don't know, some some sort of like bubbly seltzer of some kind. But anyway, back to what I was saying. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna post a bunch of like Halloween themed drinks for people who might be interested, including some mocktails for people who don't do booze. Totally, totally great. I love a good mocktail. We'll, we'll post a, a bunch of things that might inspire you this holiday season. Robert and I went to the movies the other day to watch Agatha Christie's A Haunting in Venice. Ooh, the- how is that? I'm reading that book right now. Well, and I, I just bought the book, which is called Halloween Party. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just bought it at, because I've heard that the movie is like completely different, different from the book. Yeah. So I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious to see what the book. Did you did you like the movie in. though? It was okay. I'm I'm. It was a little odd. Let me pause you. Did you see the other ones that Kenneth? The other ones that Kenneth Branagh did. Like I haven't seen Murder on the Orient Express because yes, I haven't I've read seen, the book. I've seen them all because I love Agatha Christie, and I okay. actually was disappointed that that he did. A Haunting in Venice, instead of doing like Evil Under the Sun, which is one of my favorite Agatha Christie's, both in book and adaptation. There was okay. a, a movie about that too. I'm reading Halloween Party right now. It's my first Agatha Christie. I've never read any other book. The reason I haven't seen Murder on the Orient Express yet is because I had told myself I should read the book first. Uh, same thing with Death on the Nile. Did you like those films relative to the book? I liked them. I... I... I'm in my head. It's hard for me, you know, because I have a lot of nostalgia for like when I was in high school or or junior high, intermediate. I saw the the well, I don't know if they were the original, but the adaptations that I saw starred like Evil Under the Sun and Death on the Nile. Starred Peter Ustinov as Hercule Poirot. Murder on the Orient Express. I forget the name of the actor that played. I'm blanking on the name of mm-hmm. the actor that played Poirot in that one. But so I have a lot of nostalgia for those because those were really my, before I read the books, I saw those and I really liked them. So kind of in my nostalgic brain, nothing really lives up to, to those. Mm-hmm. The Death on the Nile adaptation. And it was very small, you know, but you know me in romance. I'm just not there for it. Most of the, like 99% of the time I'm not there for it. And they just introduced like a very small, I guess, attraction that, Hercule Poirot had for um, um, one of the potential murder suspects. And so that didn't is, work for me because that wasn't, I don't think of Hercule Poirot as, as being it, at all interested really in anybody. Well, well based, on, based on what I've read so far with Halloween Party, which I'm a, a little over halfway through now. Yeah, I agree with you. He doesn't seem like he would be at all interested in romance. You, be, be, but you know why? I don't know if you ever saw Knives Out. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
I am the first one, right? Not the right, right. The first yeah. one. I, mm-hmm. I did see the second one too, but I'm referring specifically to the first one because I kind of like the first one a little ever so slightly more because it's more of like your classic murder mystery. And so, because that's all I have in my brain for reference, mm-hmm. I am reading Perot in southern Southern Daniel Craig's voice. Voice. No, so I'm reading it in that Poirot, southern Perot would be totally. <laughs> Offended. <laughs> Compels me. Like, that's how I'm reading it. It's Belgian. Know? So anyway, but yeah, no, not interested in romance at all. That would, that would, I think I started Death on the Nile. That's the one with, uh, what's her face? Gal Gadot? The, the new remake, yes. Yeah, yeah, the remake, the remake. So I think we started watching that and immediately I wasn't into it. And, and also I just, again, I felt wrong watching it having not read the books. I was like, I'm, no, we're going to turn it off. I don't want to. I had tried another Agatha Christie. None of is, her books are super long. I mean, in, they're in, not in super comparison long. comparison to modern stories, I think it feels to me like a lot of modern stories are getting longer, books are getting longer. And so hers, comparatively speaking, are pretty short. I, I think I tried to read, and I I'm, I'm, could be botching the title. I think it's called Postern of Fate. Yeah. Postern of Fate by Agatha Christie. And it did not it did not grab me, Veronica, because it seems to be this particular book seems to be some kind of series centered around Tommy and Tuppence. The couple is Tommy and Tuppence. No. And I I've didn't, never read I, any of those. I, I didn't really, it didn't, they're too, I, I told I told a, a woman this at my neighbor book club. I was like, the reason I didn't get into it is because they're too damn chatty. They're so, they're an older couple and mm. they're so chatty and the plot goes nowhere. And I'm just like, where is this going? And then, you know, people who are huge, hardcore Agatha Christie fans can definitely weigh in and, and maybe give me some enlightenment that I'm not getting, but just, just off. And I really tried. I kept reading, you know, waiting for like plot to happen and it just wasn't happening. It was very dialogue heavy about what I felt to be seemingly nothing. So I I put it down. I was like, I'm not going to continue reading this. It was a DNF for me. But Mm. if anybody else has read Posturn of Fate and loves it, please chime in and tell me because maybe I'm just missing something and I'm not giving it enough of a chance. No, that's just books. Not every book is going to appeal to everybody. So on the topic of Halloween movies, and I mentioned that I dive in with Sleepy Hollow every season, we will be uh, introducing an interview segment later on in this episode with my good friend Pete Barnstrom, who is one of the writers behind uh, Satanic Hispanics, which is a horror anthology that just came out. It had limited theatrical release last month, and people are loving it. I want to give a shout out to the Loco for Horror podcast hosted by Ray Bonilla, who gave it a really great review. He really enjoyed it and had a lot of good things to say about it. So if you want to, please go give that episode of uh, Loco for Horror a listen. So basically, Pete comes on and, and I've known Pete. Neither one of us were ready to admit to this, but I've known Pete since I was 21 years old. I know this for a fact based on like life events that happened around that time and, you know, just and how old I am now. So I, I have known him for like the past 20 years and he's a wonderful person. He is a great storyteller, just this great imaginative mind. I am so excited for him in this horror anthology and, and the success that they've had. And I really hope that, that that we will continue to see more things from him because he he's he's just such a great creative. And we had a really great, fun conversation where we just sort of, it, it was like catch-up time. We were like two excited kids just nerding out for like an hour talking about movies and stories and writing and life. So we talked a little bit about a bunch of different things, including we briefly touched on Tim Burton because like I 
I said, whether you like him, you love him, or you hate him, Tim Burton is very synonymous with this time of year. Uh, many of his films have had a huge impact on like the cultural zeitgeist. So we talked a little bit about that. And I mentioned a podcast that I am going to link for everybody in the show notes. I've been going back and giving it a re-listen and I really encourage anybody else that is geeky about movies to go give it a re-listen also. The podcast is called Filmography, a filmmaker's podcast. It's I don't believe they're in production anymore. I don't think they're making new episodes anymore, but they have an episode series where they go through essentially the filmography of Tim Burton. And so they dive into all of his films from his stop animation stuff to Edward, is it Edward? Edward, Big Fish, Sleepy Hollow, Sweeney Todd, Edward Scissorhands, like all of those films on up into like the the more modern stuff. And they're not, you know, I want to emphasize as I've been going through and re-listening, it's, I'm reminded they're in no way like glowing recommendations of all these films. They are film critics. They, they give film analysis. And so they really, they take a critical lens to all of his work. And so I think that's really important, you know, for people who maybe aren't a huge fan of Tim Burton or feel, you know, a certain way about his work. I, I encourage you to go give these po- these episodes a listen. They're really informative. They're really fun. Um, and it's if you if you like nerding out about films, then I encourage you to to go do that. Did you ever see Boris Karloff's like any of his movies? Did you ever see Boris Karloff's Frankenstein? The old black no, and white. No, I've never really watched any of those old, like super old black and white, like well, Nosferatu and yeah, the werewolf. I, and Yeah, I had never seen any of those either. What I'm going to do for myself, I would like to watch Boris Karloff's Frankenstein, which came out in 1931. So I'm going to start there. And the reason I'm going to start there is because lately I've really been thinking I would like to revisit I would like to revisit that story because I remember reading Frankenstein in high school. That was the last time I read that book. And so I have no memory of it whatsoever. So I would like to watch, what I'm going to do is I'm going to watch, I'm going to start with Karloff. I'm going to watch 1931's Frankenstein. And then I'm going to revisit some of the other Frankenstein movies over the years. Like I know there's Robert De Niro's Frankenstein, which I looked it up, came out in 1994. But there were a bunch of movies in between then. Like I seem to remember there was some crazy movie in the 80s with Sting, with like Sting the Singer. I I swear to God. Hold on, hold on, hold on. And I'm not saying it was a good movie. It was called The Bride. So The Bride of Frankenstein is what that was. Came out in 1985. And it starred Jennifer Beals from Flashdance, right? That I remember. I don't remember Sting being in it. Sting was Frankenstein's doctor. That's what I remember from like 1985 is The Bride, but maybe not that one. Although, why why the hell not? We'll watch that one. We'll watch that one too. I'm going to assign that to myself. I'm going to go through and kind of watch these Frankenstein movies because I've decided I'm I'm interested in knowing that story a little bit better and, and attaching myself to that story a little bit more the same way that I attach myself to Sleepy Hollow. Guillermo del Toro's next project will be a Frankenstein story. Mm, cool. And so they're going to kick off. This is coming from the synagogue on Instagram. They're going to kick off filming in February of 2024. And right now, Andrew Garfield, Oscar Isaac, Mia Goth, mm. and Christoph Waltz are attached to it. I'm a huge, uh, what's his face, Oscar Isaac fan. That'll be cool. 
And if anybody has like particular versions of Frankenstein that you're interested in pitching, please do. This isn't necessarily something we're going to cover on the podcast, but just for my own uh, education and information, please share with me your favorite Frankenstein movies because I want to give them a dig. So I don't know. The only other thing that I wanted to make sure we cover, Ron, as we go into Satanic Hispanics, I could not find... Hopefully this movie, so Satanic Hispanics had theatrical release back in September. We're now in October. If you miss seeing it in theaters, that's okay. Hopefully it will be coming to streaming soon. I don't have specific dates on when they might be. I had hoped that we would find that information and and I wasn't able to find that today. But hopefully it'll be streaming soon. Ronnie and I are kind of waiting. What we have been doing as we've moved forward in the podcast is we've been sort of targeting films that we can both stream. Uh, either through Prime, Hulu, Netflix, what have you, because not only are we both able to watch it, but you're able to watch it with us through those platforms. I do want to make sure that we talk about this a little bit. I had texted this to Ronnie last night, this article that I looked at. So Satanic Hispanics is a horror anthology from five Latin filmmakers, and we are definitely, Ronnie and I are definitely keen on films like that because that is sort of what we try to cover on the podcast. We cover all kinds of other things as well, but we do put special emphasis on Latino horror or Latine horror. Just this week, Variety put out a story that said Latinos had only 10 leading roles across 2022's top grossing 100 films. This is per a USC Annenberg inclusion study. I'm going to link the article in our show notes for this so that you can go and look at it more in depth. But overall, the study showed that there, and this is from the article, by the way, overall, the study showed that there has been no significant change in the prevalence of Latino characters. In 2022, a mere 6% of speaking characters were Hispanic or Latino, which researchers note is not dissimilar to the 3% found in 2007, but it vastly underrepresents the largest ethnic group in the country. So this is according to the U.S. Census. Uh, The U.S. Census put the U.S. Hispanic population at 63.7 million in 2022, and that represents a 19.1% of the population metric. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I'm like I'm not I don't mention that because I want to get on my soapbox totally, but a little bit. We are saying this just sort of lends itself to the notion and couple this by the way with what Ronnie and I have been saying since the birth of this podcast. And we'll link to this information once again too in show notes. The Latino population makes up a significant chunk of the box office of of butts and seats at theaters. So all of this to say, make more films about us and and hire a Lat- Latino or a Latine writers. Greenlight Latine filmmakers tell our stories. You know, we're very fun, delightful, interesting people. And and I'm not just, it's not just us that you should be telling stories of, but tell more stories of, of people of color. Highlight the plethora of phenomenal art that is coming out of all of our communities. There is an appetite for that in the film industry. That's that's my bit. So the next film that we're going to be watching is it's called rec rec so like that little symbol when you're gonna record a video on your camera it's from 2007 it's available at least here in the states on amazon prime you can also watch it on youtube um i think you can catch it on google play movies and voodoo although i think you have to pay like 3.99 um but yeah it's a found footage movie set in spain about a spanish reporter and her cameraman Mm -hmm. who go to cover like some emergency that's happening in a building. I'm, I, I hope it has zombie or at least zombie-ish, zombie-esque 
creatures in it because I'll be disappointed if it doesn't. I know. What a letdown if it doesn't have zombies. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's our whole goal. We're like zombie film. <laughs> the, the picture on the poster looks pretty in that ballpark. So, so yes, we're going to be taking in the movie Wreck. And then also we want to remind everybody we are reading Vampires of El Norte by Isabel Cañas. We're reading through that right now. So if you don't have that book, go get it because we want you to read with us because we want you to email us your takes and your opinions of the book so that we can share them on the episode, including any questions you might have. We can try to we can try to discuss those on the episode as well. We've got zombies and vampires going. Zam- zombies and vampires. What, what else do you want for your Halloween season? It's perfect. And we hope you enjoy this interview with, with my friend Pete. I'm, I'm joined here today by a friend of mine who I have known now. I was doing the math for Veronica. I think it's been like 20 years now. No, no, it can't be that. I think it has because really? I think I I think I was like 21, maybe 22. Really? Yeah, it's a long time. I, I am – it, it kind of bums me out. I'm like, well, I am as shocked as anyone that I wow. grew old. Yeah, well, I've, but- got, I'm, I've, I've got a few years on you, so uh, <laughs> that means I got much older. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, he is a writer. He is a filmmaker. He is a short, he is a storyteller, and he is a a Texan. He is from San Antonio, Texas. My friend Pete Barnstrom, who is with us today, and Pete, what I'm hoping that you and I will do is we'll just kind of, I mean, this is a catch up for us because, like you just said, we have not we we've stayed in touch over mm-hmm. the years, but I mean, we haven't had a conversation in years. So I was kind of hoping that we could just catch up today and just go down whatever road we want to go down and, and have conversations. I was making a list of things that honestly, I we're going to hit some stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with what either one of us are working yeah, on. Yeah, well, that's fine. But there's, but there's things that over the years, I'm like, man, you know who would be great for a conversation about this is Pete. So um, I was like, we're going to talk about this. I'm going to work this in somehow. But uh, yeah, so- That's one of the great things I've, I've really loved about your podcast, by the way, is, is I realized, oh, I, I haven't heard her voice in a long time. <laughs> we've, we've discussed things, but no, yeah, that's, that's, that's fantastic. Let's do that. I, I was very excited. I was a little nervous when Ronnie and I started the podcast because I have often thought over the years, the older I get, the more I sound like her. And so I was, I was thinking we sound too much alike and you're not going to be able to distinguish us. But then, you know, listening to episodes is like, oh, okay. Yeah. You, I, at least I can, I know who Who's who? So uh, hopefully yeah. everybody else does as well. But obviously, one of the main reasons that we're talking to Pete today is he is a writer behind uh, the Satanic Hispanics horror anthology that is currently playing in theaters. And so, if you know, if you're listening to this, if you have not seen it yet, please get out while you can and go see it. Go support that project. I was just telling Pete before we launched into this that I caught wind on Instagram of how certain protests are, are taking place in various uh, conservative parts of, of the country where I guess, you know, people are, are, are not welcoming Satanism into their community. And so I just think, well, you know, that's how you know you've made it when you're being protested at the theater. So Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so one of the things that, that I wanted to open up with first, I had messaged Pete and I had told him, I had said, you know, leading up to this conversation, I want you to assign me a movie that, that you know, you'd like me to watch. And maybe it's one that you take a look at, too, just to sort of refresh your memory. You know, some kind of horror movie or something along that vein to kind of give me a a, a sense of where you're at, where you fall in, in the horror spectrum. And he was very quick to say, well... <laughs> I'm not that into horror, but you are a big fan of, of, I guess, like horror comedy. And so yeah. 
he gave me a list of things uh, to look at. But one of the ones that jumped out at me was Evil Dead 2, primarily because I thought that I had not I, I thought I had not seen that. And then like as I was looking at it this week, Pete, I realized I could have seen this. I've, I had seen enough parts of it at least that like burned into my brain that I was like, it is, oh, it yeah. is in our collective consciousness. Everybody, <laughs> everybody knows this movie, whether they know it or not. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I definitely wrote down, I, you know, it's so different because I guess the last time I would have seen any portion of this, I would have been a lot younger. It was many, many years ago. So to go, to go back and see it this week and actually like with the intention of studying it, um, I, you know, I definitely took some notes and um, you know, I'm happy to share my thoughts, but I want to hear from you first. What, what kind of drove you to, to pick this one? Why, 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 would it, why is it on your list? Uh, what sticks out about it for you? Or What I said to you was not so much that it was I'm, I'm into horror comedy, but I'm mm-hmm. into horror slash something else, you know, and I love uh, some horror dramas. I love some horror romances, but mm-hmm. I am just a, I'm drawn to comedy as a, as a writer and as a filmmaker anyway. So that always makes a difference. So all of the novels and short stories and, and, and I, I don't do many screenplays anymore, various reasons, but, but when I do that, it's, it's generally aimed at a horror comedy sort of thing because it's just uh, ingrained in me so much. And Evil Dead is one of those that was that hit me at just the right time. I remember as a boy, I went to, and I was a teenager, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, my cousin took me to a midnight screening of Dawn of the Dead. Oh, okay. And that, I don't know that I've seen that one. <laughs> it's yeah, it's the second George Romero Night of the Living Dead movie. Yes, yes, yes. Zombie yes. movie. Mm-hmm. I have seen that. I have seen that one, obviously. Yeah, and and he went in a different direction, and and it's it's more of a an action movie with with zombies. But it's got a lot of it's got a lot of funny in it, and I didn't know how to handle that when I was that age. Yeah, and and I it, there, I can remember clearly a point at which I said, "Okay, I'm either going to laugh or I'm going to run out of this place screaming," and I don't know which one it's going to be. <laughs> and uh, and I noticed that everybody around me was laughing and and saying things to the screen, and I was like, "I, I think I I think I understand now. I think I've got it." And from that point on, I, I feel like laughing and screaming are just so tightly intertwined. Oh yeah, uh, that that I have to that I have to have both. Or I can't really enjoy one. I, there's plenty of comedies that I like and plenty of horror movies that I like, but but when they're both together, man, that is the that is the peanut butter to my chocolate. Yeah, well, it just it, it throws you for a loop, and, and I'll I'll talk a little bit more about that, I guess, in my in later questions where I want to talk specifically about like the way you write and and kind of the immersive storytelling that you do. And then, yeah, the, the, the way you kind of will just shift things and, and, and just like a, it's like a little light switch that flicks and just sort of changes the energy of the, of the scene or whatever, but we'll get to that. But so as I was watching this movie as someone who's like, truly hold on, those are my children. Let me go ahead and mute and deal with that. I'll be right back. So while she's gone, tell you all about how we met. I was making a movie and, uh, the, the, female lead was was uncast and we didn't really know how to find the right person for it so we went through a lot of people and she came in and we were like oh yeah she's she's great she's got all the uh, all the sort of energy we want and uh, and she's got a sort of innocence which she still has she was just the right person but the name of that movie was Via Candios Asshole. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Um, I was just telling them this this story of how we met, uh, and uh, and I wanted to wait until you got the earplugs in before I said the title. Yeah, I was going to say I was like, do do we want to talk about how we know each other? I feel like you would uh, be we, better at telling that story than I would be. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 as I was telling it, I was realizing it's not really a story. It's just you know a, a series of events that happened. What I was saying was that like as someone who was like watching it truly for the first time and and really wanting to sort of invest in understanding the plot. So, so I think like what I remember is that I did not see, I think Evil Dead 1 is the one I have not seen. And so I don't know if like Evil Dead 2 directly ties into that film. The first, I think, seven or eight minutes of it is a recap of the first movie. Okay, and, okay. And because it's, yeah. really, it's really the same movie. It's, it's, uh, it's the uh, Desperado to El Mariachi, mm-hmm, uh, okay. it, but, but Raimi instead of Rodriguez. Okay. Because, and that makes perfect sense. <laughs> no, I, 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 I understand I every one of those things I just said. What I felt watching the movie that, that I didn't necessarily not like, I, I, you know, it worked for it, was that I, I kind of appreciated that you're just like thrust into this world right away. And you're just like, kind of like, I guess, kind of like improv where it's just like, yes, and I'm accepting this premise and, you know, let's just keep going. Whatever you're going to throw at me, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm buying in. So Absolutely, and, yeah. And I was talking with Alex about this because on his own, my husband, for those mm-hmm. of you listening who may not know, on his own, separate of this, he did not know that he knew we were going to have a conversation. He did not know you had picked Evil Dead 2. He didn't know any of that. On his own this week, he had been watching Army of Darkness. You know, he'll yeah. put on a movie while he's working or whatever. And so he was listening to that or watching that. He he had input to share. He's like, well, you know, what did he say? Bruce Campbell should almost be his own genre he's just oh, yeah. like he i mean alex was real big on briscoe county jr growing up that was a know. fun show <laughs> and he's like part of what makes evil dead so great is that like he fully commits to the to the bit and he's yeah. just like it, it's that that earnestness in his performance and it's also like just sort of revisiting it kind of recognizing what a master class it, it is in like physical comedy he's he's just he's, really great he's amazing he hurt himself so bad so many times obviously <laughs> and, and it was so fun to watch yeah and with like leading man looks right yeah. so just yeah he was he's great but i i thought it was i was like this is perfect i have no notes other than this is why you don't go out to a cabin in the middle of nowhere you know? yeah no kidding no kidding <laughs> there's uh, never yeah. a movie where something good happens this might this might actually the, the the predecessor might have been the the beginning of that genre. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, the the cabin in the woods movies. You know, it's certainly the the one that you think of when you think of those. Well, I'm gonna definitely because I'm in, I'm invested in this story now. I have to see Army of Darkness because that my oh, understanding is it is picks right up into into yeah. that. So yeah, did the version you saw of uh, of two. And in, in the uh, with the knights. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. The, so, the, from what I'm told, Raimi originally pitched that the sequel was going to be the medieval dead, and uh, and so that was the whole idea was that it was all going to be knights. And and Dino De Laurentiis produced the movie and said, uh, "No, we're not doing that, buddy. We can't okay. we can't afford that." So okay. uh, so <laughs> they just made a nice cheap little remake of the original, and <laughs> he ended it saying. Here's where we're going next time. Don't even try and stop me. Uh, and and like there were some reboots, weren't there? Uh, there have been recently, yeah. Okay, like in the and, last ten years. And are those leaning more towards like the gen, like sincere horror? Like I think so. I haven't seen okay. it. Yeah. Although I did see the TV show. If you haven't seen the TV show, it's a it's a gas too. Okay. Uh, it's called Ash versus Evil Dead, and and it's Bruce Campbell. And it's Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
being Bruce Campbell. Okay. Well, so leading into additional stuff. So I, you're a writer of fiction, obviously, and it's been such a joy this past week to get to read uh, some of your work, some of your more recent some? stuff. Yes, I did. I, I, read, I read it all um, leading up to this because I, I really got to be reminded again of how well you flesh out a scene, again, just really immersive storytelling, so much so that it's like I found myself reading the stories and thinking, yeah, I totally, I totally know this world. I totally know what he's painting here. Got it, got it, got it. And then you'll just throw in this curveball. There were some laugh out loud stuff that I was just sitting there just cracking up. So I mean, introducing that element of terror and comedy, how they go hand in hand, how they overlap, it, it really makes for more interesting tension than just straight horror straight drama, straight, you know, anything like that. So I, I don't know, like wh what kind of things are you, are you inspired by lately? Or I all too frequently start with a title. Um, one of the, one of the stories I sent you was, uh, uh, I rocked with a zombie. Yes. It made me laugh. So I said, okay, now I got to figure out what the story is. Uh, one of my novels is called Occult 45, uh -huh. uh, about a woman who works for the NRA and gets the, the devil's gun. And now she's got to sort of rethink all of her, all of her life. And that was a little bit, you know, I took a gag of a title and started working in some stuff that I'm that I'm interested in. And then oh, when I when I just finished, it's called Polterheist, which is about stealing from a ghost awesome. because it's a funny title. <laughs> and and then it and then it sort of merged into uh, into something that I can actually deal with. I come up with funny titles that I can't use all the time, so don't get the idea that I'm that I'm just throwing out jokes and, uh, well, and, and that's kind of like them. the characters in the i rock with a zombie that story then the ones who are just like constantly th like i could come up with a better band name than that and they're like that that's so much crap o october octopus that um, was that was actually life my my son's band he was he was with a horrible leaning guy who who had this band name and i don't even remember what it was it was so complicated the drummer's dad kept saying oh you need to be october octopus and i was like that's terrible i'm writing it down and then like obviously evil dead too but can you are there any other films that jump out to you that that you think kind of execute on the horror comedy thing really well. Uh, John Landis's greatest movie, and he directed uh, the Blues Brothers and Goonies. No, not mm -hmm. Goonies, Gremlins. A few of mm -hmm. those things. His best movie is An American Werewolf in London, yeah. which is it's a, a gag title based on an American in Paris, American in London, those sorts of things. It's another one of those movies where I was sitting in the theater. There was a shift from absolutely terrifying to hilariously funny. It involved Muppets, and I thought, oh. Yeah, okay, I know where I am now. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm I'm in this world. I love it. I mean, that's that's kind of the interesting thing about like satanic Hispanics, and we're going to talk about that next. Yeah. I, when I first saw trailers for that, I because it's just like the visuals are so dark and sinister when you're watching the trailer, and then to realize that there's some comedic elements in there. Can you talk a little bit about Satanic Hispanics, how this came to be, and your involvement in the yeah. project? Uh, I've got a writing partner on a lot of the things that I do, a lot of screenplays that I've done in the past, and he works out of Baltimore. He introduced me years ago to Ed Sanchez, Eduardo Sanchez, who directed uh, The Blair Witch Project. And we'd met a few times, and shooting the breeze and, and, and that sort of thing. And uh, then they brought me on to help edit a movie that he did called Exists, which was his Bigfoot movie, uh, another found footage movie, which is not the only thing he does, but it happened to be another found footage movie. Mm -hmm. And so I helped on that one. And then on this one, because Jamie was producing, he wanted to sort of farm out the screenplay. And, and he and Ed said, oh, well, it's got to be, oh, Ed was like, okay, I need a vampire because he wanted to work with Hemke Madeira, who he'd worked with before. 
and uh, and he thought it would be funny to see Hemke as a, as a vampire. Mm-hmm. He wanted to work with another actress that he wanted to work with. So he said, this vampire's got to have a wife. And he wanted him to be, what was it? I guess, I guess he wanted him to be in a situation where he had to race back home because uh-huh. he wanted to have a chase. And so he said, okay, go with that. And so I came up with the idea and, you know, everybody layered in different ideas. That's the thing about writing screenplays. And one of the reasons I don't do it too often anymore, to be honest, I, I in the past have written this incredible script, very dark, very brutal, mm-hmm. uh, very, very cruel and, and, and also funny. <laughs> and, and I got a lot of attention for it. I was at the film festivals. People were calling me, everybody was saying, okay, I, I want to work with you. And this guy, we got really close. And he said, okay, I, I, I love it. I love everything about it. Now, I'm going to make a movie about a dog who plays soccer. Can you give me the script for that? <laughs> what? I was like, I can't do that. Uh, so that's that's sort of where screenplays are, is mm-hmm. you, you write something, you pour your heart into it, and uh, and then somebody says, I want a dog who plays soccer. So, <laughs> but, but what I was going towards was, this was not all my idea. This isn't something that I just came right out of my head. So this was a, 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 almost any produced film that you see, unless mm-hmm. it's by a writer, director, and even then, is probably a, a, the result of a whole lot of interplay, coordination. Well, so let me ask you this. So, so was there like a, was there a, at one point, a decision where somebody said, this is the project we want to do, and, and you go from there? Or was it, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, or, or was this a situation where it's just like you guys were collaborating on something and slowly but surely this took form? process going in was uh, Mike Mendez and uh, one of the other guys, Alfonso, maybe, mm-hmm. Alfonso Garon, maybe, said, you know, it would be funny is if we did a, if we did a, like a compilation of horror movies and called it a Hispanic, satanic Hispanics, wouldn't that be hilarious? Are you, you seeing a trend? And so, so they said, oh yeah, you know what? That's not a terrible idea. Let's, mm-hmm. let's call some people. So they got hold of, of other folks involved, including Eduardo Sanchez. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he then said, well, I want to work with Hemke and I want to do this and I want to do that. And I want to make it a vampire. And uh-huh. I said, okay, fine, do whatever you want to do. Yeah. So it, it went from there. In this case, there are times when when you're sitting there and uh, and collaborating with somebody and you don't know where you're going to go. And, and it just sort of builds builds up. But almost always there is a prepackaged uh, intellectual property or concept that they want to go with. I don't want you necessarily to give away more than you want to, but like, are, are there, is there anything about your particular chapter of the, in this project that you want to talk about or that you want listeners to know about? This is far and away the one that you can take your mom to see <laughs> of, of all the bunch. And my mother went to it and before I did, and she's like, oh, how, how lovely. And then when I finally went, lovely. I was like, oh Please. my God, my mother watched this. It was, gosh, it was there was so much blood. There was so much okay. cursing. There was so much violence. And then, and then I told that uh, that her older sister went to see it also, and uh, and she wrote to me and said, "Oh, it was so nice." It is the the sort of sweet love story that I that I had hoped that I was able to get into it. Okay. Um, and the actors are fantastic. They're really really good. You know what else? Before I forget, before we move on, one of the things that I think that you do really. It seems effortlessly, and you would think it would be intuitive for a lot of writers, but it definitely is not. And I'm not pitching myself as some amazing writer, but like all avid book lovers, every book lover has what they like and what they don't like. So I can, I, for me, I can spot bad dialogue when I see it. And I've always liked the way you write dialogue. Oh, thank you. Um, I was reminded of that, of that again, reading your stories. And so I, I guess if, if you were to give guidance on that or if you were to talk people through how you do that, yeah. like you said, you don't really do screenplay so much anymore. But I feel like dialogue in story, in fiction, to at least the way my brain works, it, 
feels screenplay-esque. And so it's like, yeah. I have to imagine when, when I say um, I come across bad dialogue, it's because it's like, in my mind, this would not get said, or it would not get said in this way. Like, this is not right. how people talk. For me, it's, it's about getting across what you're trying to say more than, more than making it believable. I want to make sure that it is said in a way that makes you laugh or makes you cry mm -hmm. rather than uh, makes you say, no, wait a minute. That's not how I would say that. Because, <laughs> because, you know, I think it's one of the first quotes I ever learned was Hitchcock. Movies are the uh, movies are life with the dull parts sticking out. And that's I don't want to I don't want to write what you have heard before. So I listen to what other people say. I do a mm -hmm. lot of listening. My current occupation involves a lot of flying. So I'm around at airports all the time, just sort of pointing an ear at somebody now and again, trying to hear what's going on. I, and, and, I'll, and I'll hear some, some things where if I can hear between the lines, if that makes sense, uh -huh. uh, I can hear like a tragedy unfolding that's two people just casually talking in theory. But mm -hmm. I can tell, oh, my God, this is somebody's that, that a marriage is going to end today. Something, <laughs> and, and they don't even know it. And that's the sort of thing I want to do is 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 hear what other people say and then feed it back to you or, or a reader in such a way that that they'll hear between those lines. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. But honestly, writing dialogue is like like being a musician. I think you, you either I mean, you can learn to play the piano, but you can't really learn to be good at it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Practice makes you better, but if you're if you're going to be a great one, it's something that's in you. Yeah, and I'm not saying that it's in me. It's just I. Well, I like people. the way you write dialogue. I, Thank I mean, you very much. You, you would you would be on my list of people who don't piss me off with the way you write dialogue. Oh, good. That's that's all I can ask. <laughs> Let me give you a little bit of a lead into this question because it's just random. All I wrote down. I'll get to that. But where this started from was maybe like a year ago. I was listening to this podcast, which I think is has now ended. I don't think they're not putting out new episodes anymore, but it was called Filmography. Filmography, a filmmaker's podcast. And they did a five-part series where they talked about the films of Tim Burton, taking us through like everything from his like stop motion stuff to like ba the Batman films, Planet of mm -hmm. the Apes, Pee Wee, Charlie Brown, Charlie, Charlie right. Brown, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Sleepy right. Hollow and all that stuff. And so episode by episode, they, do they dove into these films. And I, I thought at one point or another – at some point, you had indicated your appreciation for Tim Burton's Batman stuff, or you have thoughts about it. I do, definitely. Have and so about I it. wrote down, I want to have a Tim Burton discussion. Okay. <laughs> I, will, I will tell you. A question. I just want to hear you talk. Yeah. Tim Burton's early movies, mm -hmm. and I'm talking about features, not, not the stuff that he did before, but Pee-wee's Big Adventure is darn near a perfect movie as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Followed by Beetlejuice, so good. Yes. Followed by Batman very good in its own way and it shot straight down from there really <laughs> and i feel like he 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 sold out and he and he took the money to do batman and then then realized oh crap now i've got to do more movies and they want yeah. to do more batman and they want to do more of this and and i really feel like he i feel like that weighed on him a lot he had the moments when he'd get an edward scissorhands or an ed wood or something like that mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. anytime I've I've caught him sort of you know I'm going to try and make an art movie now it's been like <laughs> not 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 so much yeah, sorry yeah 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 Tim you're you're just you're just not that guy anymore you you had your chance and you squandered it on <laughs> making billion dollar franchise good for you but yeah so I think the reason that that like the Batman thing sticks out as a memory in my brain is because I think I have heard I've seen you on like online and stuff mention your opinion of that Batman versus Christopher Nolan's Batman no yeah. I, I gave up on Christopher Nolan. When I realized if if you can make Batman boring, 
you're not a good director. <laughs> you make a guy wearing a cape and a mask and uh, and ri- driving around in a really cool car, and and still I want to fall asleep. <laughs> you, you've done something that's terribly, terribly wrong. And maybe it's the same thing as Tim Burton. Maybe he just you know was good and and bought into the uh, bought into the money machine. So I don't want to sound like I'm some sort of commie here. I'm I. I, I Gladly sell out. Don't give me. <laughs> well, so okay. So you said um, Beetlejuice, the Pee Wee, obviously the first Batman. What about movies like Big Fish? Man, Big Fish bored me so much. Was it, it good? It, no, I mean, it, it's not a movie I have seen again. I saw. I know, it that's it, that's it exactly right. <laughs> it's, it's a movie I saw in theaters when it came out. Yeah. Um, not that that's not to say it wasn't beautiful it was. visually. That's but, that's actually um, that's 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 it exactly. He's 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 a great set dresser yes he's, he's, he's makes incredible designs yeah that's but, that's why nightmare before christmas is so good he didn't direct it he just made it made it what it looked like i i i will fully confess that i am a sleepy hollow fan i, I do yep. like that movie I, because again visually very it's just possible i never saw it ah well i mean visually very it, it's 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 a vibe and it's, yeah. it's an entire tone so i i appreciate it i but, do love christina ricci I, I, yeah I, yeah i mean i'm a christina ricci i follow her on instagram also yeah. right. <laughs> I, I follow all the people i I, I appreciate yeah. on Instagram. What are your go-to movies that kind of set the tone for you with this time yeah. of year? I will tell you this, and it's one you probably never heard of, and you shouldn't have. I mean, it's 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 weird. There's a guy named Rob Schraub. He developed a uh, an online presence called Channel 101, uh-huh. uh, and he and and Dan Hardman are partners in a lot of things. Rob Schraub is so exciting. Everything he does is so much fun because. He's just weird enough, off enough. And he does this thing called Ringwald and Moly. This was many, many years ago, 20 odd years ago, probably, mm-hmm. uh, which were sort of puppets. And they'd get on little adventures that, that, that just little short films that were mm-hmm. sort of like uh, a Laurel and Hardy short or something like that. And then there's just one that he did that was out of nowhere called Halloweenies. And you should look it up. It's a great little musical. And it's maybe six minutes long. And it's just so much fun and so weird and so disturbing. He also did something called Twigger's Holiday, which is a six-part, I think, uh, little story. And it's uh, it's heartbreaking and beautiful and uh, also musical. And and it's just got so much color, it'll make your eyes bleed. <laughs> that kind of ties into the last question I had for you. This was one that I asked of Ronnie before we started the podcast. And so we're not necessarily an interview format, but in, on the off chance that we ever have another guest again, I, I've kind of decided that this is going to be like the question that everyone will get asked. Can you tell me about the first scary movie you remember seeing, that first horror it doesn't necessarily have to have been a good movie, but just something that stuck in your child brain or however, yeah. however old you were. Yeah, there was a there was a lot of them because I was I grew up in an age when TV would show movies in the afternoon and we didn't have cable. Cable wasn't even a thing then. So they would do like film festivals in the summer of, you know, every week there'd be a Planet of the Apes movie at three o'clock or a Fu Manchu movie. And, and we really dug on those. And so I ended up seeing lots of Jason and the Argonauts and those sorts of things with scary skeletons and that sort of stuff. Uh-huh. But I remember the one I remember most clearly, my parents were out for some reason. Neighbor kid Robbie came over and we watched the birds. Oh, yeah. We're watching it and the birds are attacking the house. And suddenly 
a, a unbeknownst to me, uh, a neighbor's dog came to come scratching on the door. <laughs> and we both jumped out of our skin. <laughs> and that was that was uh, that was a great thrill. That's awesome. I, fi- I finally uh, introduced Alex to that movie just recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been sort of trying to stockpile those classics as I as as I can find them. And that was good. one of them. I also had him watch, you know, it's like, we're going to go on a Hitchcock, a Hitchcock week. And so we did oh, Psycho. We did we did the birds. Those were ones he hadn't seen yet. So, I mean, that's that's a really great, great one. Um, is have you seen a- Notorious? No. Yeah, you have no, seen no, no. Notorious. Okay. Yeah, Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman, both of them at their most achingly beautiful, and a in a in a romance that's funny and very exciting. It's a it's a spy movie. Claude Rains uh, playing the bad guy in quotation marks. Uh, <laughs> he's a Nazi, so I guess he's the bad guy. But he is the most. I mean, he's the most sympathetic bad guy you've ever known. It's great. It's it's one of my favorite movies. Period. But might be my favorite Hitchcock. Is there, in terms of like things that you're working on now or anywhere that, um, is there anything you want to direct people to? Where can where can I read more of your stuff? Uh, I'm getting published a lot these days. Most of it is actual physical copies, which is kind of fun. Nice, Just, yeah. you know, having stuff on the shelf is always neat. But uh, things do get put online now and again. I'm, I'm doing a lot of that. I'm trying to, trying to get the novels out now. That's my next step. I'm been doing a lot of stuff with short stories and the novels or, or something I want to get to. Do you Not, see yourself ever diving back down the film the film realm world? I, I have to admit, Satanic Hispanics has really wet that for me. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of interested. Um, I might do it again. I But the thing is, you know, never get a job making sausage. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> I, I work in corporate media uh, for a large multinational corporation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do their internal video, and it's just really hard to get off work and oh yeah, make oh, yeah. another one of those exactly. Like, that, yeah, that's, that's it, just because it's more fun. It's, uh, it it zaps you of your creative whatever yeah. whatever energy you can possibly muster. Yeah. Yeah. What I what I kind of I, I've been fortunate enough to meet other people who work on writing, whether it be novels. Uh, short fiction or screenplay. What I learned in in the time that I was sort of in that space and, and occupying that space is that I really, talking about learning how the sausage is made, I really don't necessarily love making a film, but I, I have come to really appreciate the components that go into it. Like, right. like the screenwriters, like the, honestly, I get really swept up now, you know, with cinematographers and sort of just sort of the people who kind of visually lay out a a film, I I really just have so much appreciation for them and and think what they do is is amazing work. Yeah, the more I've gotten involved, the more more I realize it's just all collaboration, so many different people working together, doing so many things. I used to be, you know, fanatical about an actor, fanatical about a director or whatever. And, and it's just, I mean, I I won't say that I that I collect up a, a list of my favorite, you know, grips, you know, I realized that, that the electrical team does contribute just about as much as, as anybody does for a movie or, you know, lighting, makeup, costumes. These yeah. are all hugely important jobs. Yeah. And when, and when it's, and when it's good, when it's all together and it's good and it's working, it's great. And when it's not, it's not. So it's just yeah. one of those things, you know? Yeah. And if, if even one of those is wrong, it's, it's blown. The entire mm-hmm. thing is blown. Yeah. I really wish I could have been on the set uh, for Satanic Hispanics. There's some just beautiful things that are being done like Gigi Saul Guerrero. Her section is just the creepiest, weirdest thing, uh-huh. uh, and it looks so beautiful. It's almost all set in the woods, and uh, and there's just the green is so green, and 
Uh, I'm really impressed with her. There's one that I would call really a straight up horror movie. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's about ghosts and creepy and weird. And then there's ours, which is a, a silly monster movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, I don't mean to dismiss it. It's a, it's a, it's also a love story, and it's really nice. And then came, I think maybe she came next uh, with her really, really weird. It's kind of a witch movie. And uh, and the and the last one, which was very, very Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Uh, and and then there's the uh, sort of encompassing story, which does have a payoff at the end, which stars a, uh, a an iconic uh, Hispanic actor. And you're not going to give it away. Uh, <laughs> People no, have to go see it. He's, he's no, his his face is right there on the screen. It's just you won't recognize him. But un, until I'm t- I tell you who he is, and then you go, okay. oh, that's who he is. Okay, okay. Well, no, that's an incentive for everyone yeah. to go see it. If you want to know, you got to go see it. So that's good. Yeah, that's good. But he is he is somebody you know, even if you've never seen that movie. Yeah. Okay, good to know. Well, I didn't go off too long on the on the Halloween movies that get me started. I almost always watch the 1932 Mummies. He's amazing. He really, really is great. He's I can't think of any actor until maybe Ron Perlman, who was able to act under so much makeup and really, you know, give you something. Uh Boris Karloff is great. Frankenstein, obviously. The Mummy. uh, His Fu Manchu is pretty amazing. With Myrna Loy as Mm -hmm. his daughter. Her incredibly perverse, kinky daughter. (laughs) I mean, in 1932, 33, she's she's got the whips. She's got low-cut gowns it's yeah. it's clearly before the haze code came around it is really <laughs> great she is fantastic um do you do any uh, vincent prices anything oh, like yeah that? yeah absolutely yeah. vincent price is really great too yeah uh but i was just mentioning Karloff because he can just be a different looking person in every movie and he's so so great underneath all the makeup um trivia that i noticed watching evil dead 2 which by the way, it was like a, a new experience for me too. I hadn't seen it in so long. It's really good. Yeah. I was amazed at some of it was like, I mean, there's gags in there that could have been an Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein or something. Yeah. Just really <laughs> silly, fun stuff. But one of the things I saw was when he goes into the woodshed to cut his girlfriend's head in half, hanging on the wall behind him is uh, Freddy's glove. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah. it's You're not supposed to. But oh, it's that's there. Because when did Evil Dead 2 come out? Evil Dead 1 came out apparently before... Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street because they put the poster for Evil Dead in Nightmare on Elm Street on somebody's wall. And oh, so this okay. was them saying, thanks, guys. Appreciate oh, you uh, giving us a little. Th- thanks for the shout out. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was I thought it was really great. Like immediately I was just like, this is going to be awesome. And, and then like the, you know, the amount of blood, the amount of like just the effect is just so over the top. Actually, that's exactly it. When I was watching Dawn of the Dead and it was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be sick or laugh. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> There's this tall zombie walking towards them as they're getting into the into the helicopter. And just the top blade, he had this ridiculously large Frankenstein head. And the top blade of the helicopter <laughs> chops off his head. Uh-huh. Uh, chops off the top of his head. And just wa- gushers of, of blood coming out. And I, and I realized, oh. Yes. This is absolutely stupid. I'm loving this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like the scene where the demonic mother is dragging Jack the hillbilly mm-hmm. down into oh, yeah. and then like a, like a geyser of blood. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, God. It's yeah. good. It's good. I'm glad that I'm um, thank you for for making that happen because it's not I wouldn't have watched it on my own yeah. if, if you yeah. had not directed me to do that. So, it was great. Well, thank you. I love everyone. Weekend. Bye-bye. <laughs> Scream Sister is a Nest production hosted by me, Valerie, and Veronica. Editing by me. Production support for this episode provided by Lorenzo Villarreal and Alex Street.